Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James. We are your audio checkpoint guiding you along the Fulham FC tidal wave that is sweeping all before it at the moment. And how apt that whilst the Winter Olympics is grabbing all the headlines, Fulham showed some ice school finishing of their own on Saturday, including a stunning 45-yard effort from Floyd Ayite that aided the Whites to a 2-0 victory over Aston Villa. And tonight my guests on the show include the boy who sunk many a cold one on Saturday. It's Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Next up, a man who's been anything but freezing down in sunny Bilbao recently. It's Ben Jarman. Hi, good evening. And finally, the king of Netflix and chill. It's Farrell Monk. Well, hello there. Fulham FC TV and chill. <laughs> <laughs> that's an old one. The only a... joke that's banged. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real old reference there for the uh, for the early Fulhamishers. How are you all doing? Yeah, good. Very good. Less hungover now. Have you recovered, Jack? Yeah, I'm less hungover now. Yeah, it was Jack's birthday weekend, and uh, fair to say that he had many a Magnus. Although I say sink in a cold one, you hate ice in a Magnus, don't yeah, you? No one. Ha- why would you? What, do you have ice in your lager? No. So I would have ice in a cider. It's it doesn't very... make any sense. Yeah, and also if you put ice in it, you can't pour the whole pint bottle into a pint glass, which is a really frustrating and you know weird thing. So yeah, no ice in the glass. That was Never. an interesting ten minutes of base in the pub. Well, on this show we're going to be analysing Saturday's two 0 victory, plus previewing the Bristol City game and getting to your questions as well. Uh, but first, we need to do some three word reviews from Saturday. It was a brilliant, brilliant day, uh, and imagine many three word reviews came through the door, Jack. So what we got? Um, we we start here with Alex Scarcy who says Fortress Craven Cottage. FSC Dom says terrified of us, which I love that one. Get a pun in, you know. We said this last week. Get a pun in, you get in the show. It's yeah. done. Uh, I liked Reese's cottages, not villas. Matt Hamford's fear no one, uh, and Jack Collins said no ice, please. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Wait, what on Twitter or just now? No, just now. I mean, this is a three-word <laughs> review of my life. I think no ice, please. Uh, this season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. Right now, if you sign up and deposit fifty pounds into your account, then Ladbrokes will match your deposit up to fifty pounds. You can get this offer by following the link at bets.fulhamish.co.uk. So, as I alluded to, a brilliant two-nil victory against a red-hot Aston Villa side. They came here with seven wins on the bounce, but two second-half goals added Fulham the three points, and it pushes us closer to that automatic promotion race. Farrell, uh, Slavisa made three changes to line up with Ayite, Mitrovic and Captain Tom Kearney back into the side for Piazon, Font and Norwood although briefly we thought that um, there was a shock captain change uh, when the lineups came out on Twitter. Is this Slav's strongest 11? I'm putting that to you. Ooh. Oh, starting strong, yeah. uh, right from the off. Um, I I don't know. Uh, is I'm going to sit on the fence on this one because Classic. we've debated quite a lot over what is Slav's strongest eleven, and especially when you know we do the re-records, especially the extra, and try and go through, try and predict what the starting eleven will be, and we. You know, we all come up with three different opinions, and I think that Slav doesn't even know. Uh, we touched on it a few, well, about a month ago, about um, partnerships of certain players and whether you know he he tended to go with uh, Ojo and uh, if he was playing Kamara and uh, Piazon with um, Font, maybe we're seeing a new partnership with Aite and uh, Mitrovic at the weekend, and it certainly looks strong from from my point of view. Ben, you must have been happy to see Floyd back in the side. Yeah, I was happy to see him back in there, but I think that in the first half, I thought he looked quite ring rusty. I thought he gave the ball away quite a lot. And only in the second half, after we started to take a little bit more risks and the game became more stretched, did Aite really put his mark on the game. Also, you noticed it 
when he started to come inside behind Mitrovic rather than trying to get ahead of him. Um, I think that that's when Aito really, really put his stamp on the game uh, after what was otherwise quite a disastrous first half for him. It was a pretty cagey first half all round, really, for both sides. It was a great atmosphere at the cottage, and it was a big game. But I guess with it being such an important game, neither side wanted to make the mistake that might cost them a goal in that first 45. So actually, maybe we should have expected it to it not be a blistering start, as you may have predicted, looking at the form of the two sides. Well, the opening five minutes, I felt like Fulham were, were much on the top, and, and then Villa sort of grew into the game, and therefore it became a bit riskier after that. And... Fulham, I, I think it was quite nice to see us change our tack a little bit instead of going out um, and risking it all from the start, just sort of being more content to play in front of Villa and wear them down a little bit and play what is essentially a bit more of a long game um, in front of them and then came out in the second half and then really started to stretch it. And obviously that stretch and, and, the, and the risks paid off really early in the second half with obviously a very early goal from Sessegnon. Indeed. Um we looked to be targeting the left-hand side, I thought, in the first half, Jack. Uh, we spoke about, actually, you spoke to uh, Sam Tai about how the right-hand side might be Villa's weak point. But I guess we couldn't have expected uh, Villa debutant Axel Twanzebe to have quite such a good performance. He had a cess in his pocket for much of the first half. Yeah, well, he's a good player. And, yeah. you know, the the truth of the matter is that he, he obviously has been watching how Cess plays and he took the decision to, you know, stand him up rather than commit. Uh, and then he basically nullified that threat down the down the inside, and it was only when Cesc started to drift in the second half and through that injury to El Mahamedi, which is easier to write than say. Um, <laughs> it's it was a that was a big moment, I think. And until that point, Fulham had had less joy down the right, still more than they'd had on the left. But it, it wasn't you know a flying Ryan Fredericks. But in the second half, Fredericks just absolutely blistered down that right again and again and again and it that was the the main difference you know villa were were weaker than we expected i think you know that to lose someone of albert doma's quality it is going to always be an issue going forward but also we spoke about this on the extra podcast but his work rate tracking back is absolutely sensational for villa and they really needed that against someone like fredericks who has that capacity and we said i said about with sam that the main battle, I thought, was going to be between Adoma and Fredericks and see how that kind of panned out. And without Adoma there to do it, it, it really did open up the game in the second half for Fulham to, to bomb on and really impress down there. And without Jack Grealish as well for Villa, that was a huge boost for Fulham to get pre-game. I think we all thought that uh, maybe this was some some mind games from Steve yeah. Bruce saying that Grealish and Adoma were out and then they, they, they would appear on the team sheet come two o'clock, but they were genuinely out. And without Grealish, Villa lacked someone to maybe unlock the Fulham defence and we never really looked tested all day. Yeah, they're they're quite. They're, both of them are quite key to how, how Villa play and they did lack that kind of cutting edge to get through Fulham. But I, I do fear that, well, I do, I do think that even with them in the team, I thought Fulham played so well that even with Adoma and Grealish in the team I think they would would have found it very hard to get, have a lot of time on the ball because every time in the first and especially in the second half that every single Villa attack that tried to get forward Fulham were just winning it back so quickly I brought a friend along to the game it was the first time he'd seen Fulham play and he was just amazed at how often Fulham just won the ball back very very quickly and then just passed and passed and passed around and just totally looked like that if you if he didn't see the league table before the game, it would have looked like that Fulham are the one that were probably miles ahead and uh, 
trying to go for winning the championship and Villa the ones in the playoffs. I think um, it's important to to think about the kind of importance of Jack Grealish and that whole everything goes through him in that Villa team and the kind of space he creates by drifting out wide and then letting the you know the inside interior wingers cut in. You look at like Snodgrass's goals this year. You look at Adoma's goal against Birmingham and there's such a like. Uh, a width of space when Grealish drifts and he drags people around with him and basically Fulham without him there they played Conor Hurahan in the 10 and Conor Hurahan is a wonderful footballer but he's more similar to uh, to Steph than he is to Tom Kearney mm. and if you think about the way that Fulham have played with Norwood and Johans, uh, Norwood and Kev with Johansson ahead of them yeah they're fine and they do a job and against that you know against the weaker sides there's enough there to, to really put them to the sword but when you get against the you know the top sides here there isn't enough you know necessary in, in guile in that midfield almost to to kind of break things mm. down and Bjarnason and Jedinak did fine but they were just both quite you know static and, and they, they didn't bring the ball forward and I think the way to combat Fulham on Saturday would have had to been to have Jack Grealish in there nipping at Kearney nipping at McDonald mm. and without that there Hurahan sort of sat back and let them sort of control and Tom Kearney just picked them apart from the base yeah. of midfield and it's interesting you look at this, the positions of where people played and Steph's far further forward than Kearney but the way that he carries the ball and that controls the midfield there is why he's seen still seen as the 10 rather than his, you know, behind-the-striker kind of role. But it's really, really interesting to see that without Grealish and without that kind of outlet that they had, how much space and time Kearney had to just sort of carry the ball out, to look after the ball. And, you know, we've said sometimes Tom Kenny's a little bit careless in possession, but he was very much in control of it all the way through on Saturday. I mean, Ben, it was probably the perfect game for Kearney to come back for. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought he was, as Jack said, he was quite imperious. And I thought with possession, he was absolutely fantastic and for the most part flawless in there. Um, as Jack rightly says, the midfield selection from Aston Villa was somewhat awry. And I think they could have potentially had a couple more options in there to sort of thwart what Stephanie Hansen and in particular TC bring to Fulham. As a team, I thought they should have had someone in there with perhaps a little bit more of an engine in there, um, alongside Hurahan. Um, and and Yedinak, he's lost his legs some time ago. So um, I feel like their midfield selection was perhaps, uh, it played into our hands. Um, TC was given acres of space. and but, but one thing you have to notice about when TC is back is that we hold on to the ball much better than we do when you've got Holly Norwood in there. Um, I think we retain the ball better. We tend to stretch opponents m much better as well because TC isn't afraid to take on players and he isn't afraid to drive between the lines holding the ball, which is something we don't particularly see from Norwood. I feel like when Norwood and K-Mac and uh, Johansson played, at times it can be quite a static midfielder and it becomes a passing midfielder as opposed to a driving midfield. TC really offers the ability to get to players but also to open up spaces in, in channels and uh, interior um, parts of the pitch that the other midfielders in the league can't do. What's what's the what's really really impressive from Fulham, on, especially on Saturday, was the transition in play from goalkeeper to to opening up and having a good amount of space in attacking mid, and it really did show. In a, it really did show in the second half, and it kind of worked to our benefit that it was nil nil at half time because it meant that Villa had stopped playing so deep to probably Steve Bruce at half time going great we're now nil nil let's see if we can press them high and they tried to press us high and it just opened up so much space in behind their their midfield three but the passage in play that really highlighted how well that was was the one leading up to when Fredericks um, nutmegs um, Bjarnason in that, in that um, right back spot I think it's essentially the ball comes out from Bettinelli out to the wing into Fredericks who plays it inside to TC they're, they're harried a little bit but they keep hold of the ball so well and it's it's lobbed over the top and into the channel. 
it's just moments like that where you can see how well our ball retention, how, how good it is. And then, as you said, Farrell, like how well the passing was this weekend. But also Marcus Bettinelli was playing it out of goal. His distribution for me seemed remarkably better than it has been mm. for the past dozen games. It, it seemed like a transformed performance from Marcus in that department. Well, it's yeah. the trust in all the players around that everyone has. Everyone doesn't even have to think about who they're passing to. They know where everyone is going to be and they have that trust they're going to play a decent ball to them. They're going to get it out their feet quickly and play it on literally straight from the off. And I was saying before that my friend, this first time he'd seen Fulham play, and it went back to Bettinelli, and the striker was, uh, Scott Hogan was um, bearing down on him. And he was like, ooh. And I was like, well, don't worry about it. Bet's, got, Bet's has got this covered. As if, like, it's a it's a normal thing that, oh, there's a, a striker within 10 yards of our goalkeeper, or five yards within, of our goalkeeper, and that's a really bad thing. But it's, like, absolutely, like, nothing to, to full, any Fulham player, let alone our goalkeeper. I don't know if you're going to bring this up next, Sam, but the the bit of play that I found really interesting was the very start of the second half, mm. where Fulham were under the cosh a little bit, and we've spoken, you know, at length about how we never seemed to come out firing after half time, and we really did. We weathered a bit of a five minute storm before, you know, before we really started to break. But once that storm had been weathered, and once we knew Villa had sort of, you know, that was all they had, and it was, it, you know, the only real chance I think of the entire half of them fell to Scott Hogan on the half volley, mm. um, which he has scored a couple of times this season, that exact kind of chance. Um, and I thought that was the only time they got behind. But it was that period where between those, between our goal and half time, where they had, you know, the, the majority of play. And as soon as then we managed to break out of that and almost spring the trap, it was, it was very much all one way traffic. And I thought it was really interesting how we were quite confident in our own defensive abilities for, you know, which, which isn't always been our strong point and, and has been something we've talked about, you know, when we, when we really get under the cosh, we've often conceded this season, but it was the way that we sort of took it, took it on ourselves, sucked it all in and then literally broke at such pace. And, and when, when Villa started to come at us, the control that the middle three exercised over the entire mm. park was something to mm-hmm. behold and absolutely sensational between the three of them. And, I think there's been a lot of talk about lots of players, but Steph looks just so much better with TC next to him. It's it, it's uncanny how 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 much of a change player he is there. Well, I think the the key phrase we turned the screw in the second half, didn't we? We suddenly just went from fourth gear into fifth gear, and quite literally, in the case of Ryan Fredericks, he turned on the afterburners to beat Alan Hudson. Wonderful run from him down the right hand side, pulling that classic. Um, cut back from from not quite the byline but five yards in front of it and once again Ryan Sessegnon just finds two yards of space he peels backwards um, from the melee of play, players in the middle and it's a fantastic finish as well not just to find the space but also to to find a corner of goal that wasn't occupied by either Villa or Fulham players from there it's, it's remarkable and but I, now it, every time it's Sessegnon I just have no doubt in my mind that he's gonna finish it yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. And I think what we mentioned earlier on in the podcast is that how uh, Axel Tuanzebi had basically kept Ryan Sessegnon in his back pocket until he started to drift inside. And Sessegnon has always been at his most impressive when he's in those areas where he can poach a goal. And he's, for someone that's left back by trade, he has such great predatory instincts. And I think that is purely because... He understands, as I think we highlighted last season quite a lot and probably towards uh, the recent podcast now, he's got such a good understanding of what defenders hate to play against. He knows where to be and when when to be there. And I think that's, in, in a wider case, it's understanding, uh, like a modern fullback, having an understanding of how to attack and defend. But I think um, what we really lacked at the start of the season was 
getting in behind defences. And you see Aite's ball into Fredericks is inch perfect. And then it's the, the famous Fulham cutback from last season. And it's so pleasing to see it come back because it was so effective. And we really know how to overload wide areas again now and how to work it into the box. And the methodology and the coaching behind it is so clear to see. It, it's really positive. The best thing about Cess is that even when he's not having a good game, you know he has the potential that if you give him one shot, he's going to put it away. There's a little bit of Jermaine Defoe in that. like In terms of like, there are so many games where Defoe is completely anonymous and then he'll just pop up and score a goal at the last mm. minute. But, and there's a touch of that kind of predatory instinct about Cess. You know, he wasn't worried about the fact that he wasn't having a good game. Or, you know, there's some players who'd be like, oh, I haven't had a good game. I really need to do something to make a difference. And Cess is 17 and he's just like, ah be fine I will will get those two yards at some point and when those two yards come I will score and it's that kind of confidence in his own ability and kind of he doesn't worry about what's going on around him on the pitch he just his head's in such a good place at the moment and obviously him playing in such a a team that sort of suits him that he just must be like well the chance will come and I know that I have the you know ability to put it away I would like to make a compilation and uh, Jules Breach on BT Sport score was guilty of this on Saturday of commentators from around the media talking about Ryan Sessignon and using the phrase and it's a ma- all of this from a left back. Yeah. I, um, I spoke to Jules today at length about this and I, I left her a, a lengthy essay about why Frederick, why Sessegnon is able to play like kind of a left winger role even when he's playing left back because of the system that Fulham employ with the kind of centre defensive midfielder splitting the two centre backs and then the two wing backs playing in front of the midfield four and whatever. But we had a, we had an interesting conversation. But she uh, she has promised to go down and see Sessegnon at the at the cottage before as the winger before the end of the season. So <laughs> we look forward to inviting Jules down. Channel Five uh, did their um, their football on five show and I managed to catch the highlights from that on Sunday morning. And they did a classic bit where they were like, oh, Ryan Sessegnon, and he was good today, wasn't he? And Clinton Morrison was there. Yeah, he was brilliant today. He was focal point of everything everything good about Fulham. And it was quite obvious that they hadn't actually watched the game because Sess was quiet for a lot of a lot of the game. And uh, Twen Zerbe was, was, was keeping him quiet. Uh, admittedly, and this is, you know, you guys alluded to it, but um, Jukanovic has, knows what Sessegnon's like and and knows that even when he's not having a good game, that he still has that trust that he's going to pop up in the right area and create a chance and hopefully score a goal. I said just before the goal, I, I admittedly, I said, oh, he's not having a good game today, Seth. Maybe it's time to bring him off. And obviously, you know, Slavers, that's where he earns his money. He didn't take him off and reward was there. Indeed. Uh, let's come on to Ayite's goal in a second. But just before that, he wasted a brilliant opportunity. And our man, uh, Blame Draymond, yep. Uh, yep. Nick McNee, um, pointed this out very nicely on Twitter. It's just a ludic- slightly ludicrous decision from Ayite. You've got Matt Target on one side in not quite a good, so good position and Alexander Mitrovic on the right of you in a much better position. And he picks flipping Matt Target. It I was, was I was fuming at the time. So I actually missed the goal because I turned around to berate Floyd Aite's decision making and shout, "If we'd had Cabano on, it would be two nil." Uh, <laughs> then I turned around and the ball was just floating towards the net. I was like, "What's going on? How long What's were you shou- How long were you turned around for shouting? Also, who were you shouting at? Just I was just ranting at people in the Hammersmith end. Those poor people. <laughs> oh, in fairness, there was a lot of my friends behind me, but you know there were also just a lot of randoms. So, uh, apologies if I d- distracted you from the goal by shouting about Niskan's Cabano. I mean, it's an unbelievable finish. I mean, a great assist from Sam Johnston, but how about that? I mean, forty-five yards. I, I can't remember a goal from so far out 
at Craven Cottage. John Harley against Aston Villa. I don't think yeah, John Harley was actually in Loftus Road. There was probably before you guys were born, but uh, Mickey Conroy scored from the halfway line. Yes. In a, There's a song about that, isn't there? I don't actually know. Is there one? There's, there was a, there was, there was some. We got some messages on Twitter about uh, re- resurrecting the old Conway from the halfway oh, right, line okay, for yeah. Floyd. I thought, I thought they were actually singing that uh, on Saturday, and I would have no. I don't think Harley's is as far out as Floyd. No, I think that's about thirty-five. I, I mean, still, I'm not knocking Harley's goal, but I mean, someone said on Twitter, oh, it was an easy finish, and I, I was just. I very nearly bit, but I wasn't sure if they were just looking for nibbles. It's never an easy finish and it's Floyd, is it? No, especially when he basically gets played into... Well, I say he gets played into your feet, makes it sound like it's an amazing pass, but it's literally he has to get it out of his feet and try and hit it before he's back in the net. His first touch is actually sensational. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's good, yeah. Credit where credit's due is, I mean... It's a wonderful strike. I feel like Floyd's coming for a little bit of stick this year. I think some of it it is, is justified, and I think... You know when Nick highlights that that opportunity with um, with Target and Mitrovic, that that is a justified criticism of how Floyd has been. But like he, he's barely played a minute, like it's very yeah. difficult to to give him that much flack that he's actually got. I mean, I, I'm defending this. So I, I love the guy. So there you yeah, go. I, I like him too. Um, it's it's a case of the fact that you know, much like last season, he's been in in and out of the team. You know, a little bit of injuries have kind of just stifled his runs, and therefore. When he's trying to get back match fit, then he has that one or two games to try and get going again. He might not be playing to his full mm. potential, um, but he, when he is playing at his full potential, he's quite clearly good and Slav obviously likes him. Yeah, uh, Fulham finished the game strongest after Floyd's uh, incredible goal. I think we looked closest to scoring a third more than Villa looked uh, close to getting one back, although you mentioned that chance from Hogan, and to be honest, for a striker of his calibre, he really should be working bets at, at the very least. That's a, there. T- that's a tough, tough chance. He comes over his shoulder. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, it's, it's not an easy shot. I, you he's know, not Salomon Rondon. Or, or oh. Adam Lafondra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then for the rest of the game, the Housemith then took great joy in just reminding John Terry what the score was every few minutes. Yeah, I mean, quite a lot of stick. He didn't have a particularly good game. He didn't have a particularly poor game either. He just didn't really do anything. He just was quite anonymous, to be honest. And you know, there was that was that was not bad. I'm not not criticising it in terms of his base. It's, it's as it's as bad as vilified as I've ever seen anyone at the cottage. And I think mm. you know, rightly rightly so. But we, I was I, I was happier doing that at 2-0 than it was at 0-0. Well, I, kind of, I kind of acknowledged Dan's point that he made on the extra podcast about saying how John Terry will be riled up for this game and want to win it and the more and more stick he gets. Although I think in the case of John Terry, he probably gets so much stick from so many grounds he goes to mm. that, I mean, he'd have to get fired up for every game. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah. as in you don't see most of the time, like people will boo him for the first like 10 minutes and then after that they'll get bored. But Fulham just didn't get bored. They just did it for the entire game. So that's fine. I'm kind of almost almost impressed. Um, well, he's just he's he's a professional footballer who's played at the top of the game. He's got how many God knows how many England caps played at World Cups. I'm sure he's used to the abuse. I'm sure he doesn't even care about Fulham. I did but, try you know, and start it's... a one there's only one Wayne Bridge song, but it didn't kick <laughs> off quite as I'd hoped. <laughs> Classic Jack. Uh, right, player opinions. Couple of individual ones I wanted to get your opinion on. Uh, what was the verdict on Mitrovic? Grew into the game for me uh, and definitely keeps the centre backs occupied, even if he's not taking the chances. They've always got one eye on him, and that maybe allows some of the midfield to have more opportunities because they're so preoccupied with 
Alexander Mitrovic because he's just such a handful. Well, not just the centre backs. What about the Lino? Bloody hell! Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, well. that ball was long gone, and he still <laughs> decided to completely clatter in. Lino but found fair, it funny though. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, the Lino did stay on his feet. He didn't dive down and try and play him for a red card or anything like that. Um, he missed a very, very good chance in the first half, Alexander Mitrovic, where he didn't necessarily have to score, but I think he had to get it on target. It was middle of the goal header and, and something mm. you really kind of expect someone of his quality and his calibre to be getting on target. He, I didn't think he was particularly good in the first half. I thought he was very good in the second half. Um, and I just think that's match fitness, match sharpness. I'm not 100% sure he'll start on Wednesday. Mm. I think... He might because Slav will want to keep the team as settled as possible, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just try and keep him fit for the Wolves game so that he can hassle and harry and and do all the things he's supposed to. So, but, you know, like we said, Font's not an impact player, so there's going to have to be some sort of degree of rotation between the two of them and with, with Camera or, you know, Mitrovic himself coming off the bench, you'd imagine. But we'll see. We'll see what Slav does now. And we had a new feature on the Fulhamish website this weekend where you can... Uh, pick your player ratings for each Fulham player straight after the match. It's um, uploaded straight away. We're about. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, always doing bits on the website. And, and Ryan Fredericks was voted man of the match by the uh, Fulhamish users uh, with a score of 8.4 out of 10. Would you agree, Ben, that he was man of the match? Um, I think so. I think there was a, a few big calls in there, but I think Fredericks just does about edge it. I really liked how we played this weekend. I think... Over the past few weeks, he's kind of annoyed me because you know what he's capable of bringing to the table and he hasn't exactly brung it. Um, I thought in the first half, he was clearly told to play with some sort of restraint and not to burn himself out too easy because mm. if you look at Fredericks quite often, more often than not actually, I, I would say it gets to around about 70 minutes and he looks completely spent. Um, this game, I thought he managed himself well. He was really impactful, particularly in the second half and he picked up his fifth assist of the season. Indeed, and he means he's a top assist for, yeah, the, for the season. He's well out in, well out in front of us, isn't he? Yeah. I think Sess is only one Sess or two behind. Sess has got three. Yeah. Bad dudes. Um, right, we're going to come on to the bigger picture and the promotion race in a little bit. Plus, we're going to be previewing that Bristol City match after this. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman, Jack Collins, Yo. and with Farrell Monk. What up? <laughs> Uh, so we're going to be previewing Bristol nice. City like in a little moment. There's no Fulhamish extra this week. Well, there kind of is and there kind of isn't. There's just two Fulhamishes. There's just two Fulhamishes. Whether they're extra... Is this, you get the same thing at the end of the day. You get you get product. You Pro- get content. Lucky, lucky content. Content. Podcast content. is all about hashtag tent. <laughs> uh, but Midweek Footy is back uh, on Wednesday. So I think it's going to be me and Dom uh, just doing a quick review of the Bristol City game and looking Over forward to the Wolves. Yes, I'll I make sure. Might, I actually might be about. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. I'm um, flying to Bilbao. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm following Ben's footsteps and I'm flying to Bilbao on, the on Thursday evening. Oh, yeah. Um, but I might be about for the afternoon if we're... We'll see what happens. We'll see yeah, what happens. You might get a wise. special Jack Collins like appearance out of nowhere. Well, wouldn't that, wouldn't <laughs> just I be bursting just bursting into the studio half halfway through? The studio being my living room. Yeah, it's a it's a classic Savvy living room special. Exactly. Hiding behind the sofa the whole day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll be uh, that'll be in your pods stores on Thursday afternoon. Looking back at the Bristol City game and looking forward to the Wolves game. You're going to Bristol, aren't you, Sam? I am. So are you? I'm going to Bristol. Um, it's going to be fun. I'm quite excited about Bristol. I am indeed as well. I'm staying the night. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be on the big old train home with all the fans, which I enjoy. Especially if we win. And I'm going to be in the pub with all the cans. Yeah, oh, good. Hey. <laughs> don't, say that Fulhamish, don't say that Fulhamish doesn't bring you unreal tent every day. <laughs> uh, so, just want to reflect a little bit on the 
table after the brilliant Villa win. Um, everybody's talking about the automatic promotion places. Still six points, though, off Cardiff in that second position. They picked up a big win against Middlesbrough. They had that kind of Christmas blip where they lost four in a row, but now I think they're six unbeaten and looking quite good under Neil Warnock. Um, I did the video that I do sometimes for Channel 5 uh, on Saturday after the game, and I got called, in quote, a miserable bastard online for saying that we shouldn't get carried away. Are they right? Yeah, cheer up. <laughs> they said, put out the black and white bunting and start paint- painting your face for the promotion party. I mean, that's a big statement. Who said this? Uh, I don't know, oh, but someone. Someone random. Some troll. Some, no, some internet troll. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tony Khan. <clears throat> but, but, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was. Farrell, looking at the table, though, we're five points inside of the playoffs, but we're still six points from Cardiff. Everyone's going to be talking about second after that uh, brilliant win on Saturday. I don't know. I, I just I can't I just can't think that I'm getting too carried away yet. No, I, I do. To a certain extent, I do. I do agree. I mean, there are five, six, seven other teams all think that potentially we can get to second place and get that automatic promotion spot. Um, and... You know, but it is certainly possible that Fulham can get there. But, you know, we just need to keep relying. If we carry on this amazing run that Fulham are on at the moment, and especially since the the teams we're playing are all the teams going for their automatic promotion, then, you know, why not? I mean, we're certainly in a much better position than we were, you know, four or five weeks ago. That's for sure. Especially since that it's not just Fulham going, you know, winning how many games it is now. I've actually, I can't even count that high. Twelve. Um, thank you. Um, the, the the other teams are dropping points. Some teams have been losing points. We'll talk about Bristol City in a moment. And Bristol City lost quite a few um, games recently. Mm. Um, and they've been dropping points. And it was wonderful to see that they dropped points against Leeds, unfortunately. But, you know, they did drop points. Slav has always said, let's just concentrate on the results and hopefully the other teams will continue to drop points. Look, we have to play... We play Derby, right? And if we if we look at these teams now in the mix, it's Fulham, Derby, Villa and City, right? Uh, um, Cardiff City. Um, and we have to play Derby. Villa have to play Cardiff and Derby. And Cardiff have to play Derby as well. So there there are going to be points that are dropped. If we continue winning and we just keep winning, then people will have to drop points around us. It's physically impossible for them all to keep up the same exactly the same rate because they have to play each other. So, you know, we do our thing, we keep winning and, and hopefully the other teams, you know, slip up and they see that, you know, Fulham team coming coming off their coattails and think, oh, Jesus, they're, they're coming for us. Like, you know, Leeds did last year. They saw, they saw Fulham coming for them and they absolutely, you know, throttled themselves. And, and hopefully, you know, you see a, you'll see some teams around there, you know, even if it takes, if Cardiff drop off, or, you know, Cardiff might not, or if Villa, if one of these teams drops off and the other two have to play each other and play the teams around them in, in quick succession, you know, a lot of them still have to play Wolves again. You know, we, we, we have these games that, that will mean that these teams will drop some points between here and the end of the season. And if they don't, then, you know, there's not much you can do about mm. it. So we just crack on and try and do our, play our own game. And you'd imagine that more often than not, there are going to be points in the rest of the season where these teams drop points. Yeah, but unfortunately, sorry to put the Sammy face on, but, we have you to know, we'll, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I get it. And, you know, it only takes one. If we lose tomorrow night, that will that will bring it down a fair amount. That's for sure. But I'd be at this moment in time, I'd be very disappointed if we don't at least make playoffs. Ben, quick word from you or a lengthy word, if you want, about the table. Well, I think, uh, as Farrell says, Five weeks ago, if you were asking us if we'd get anywhere near the automatic playoff places, we would have said absolutely not. 
And Marcus Bettinelli came out and, and had a really good interview uh, pre-Villa game where he said that we should be given more credit for picking ourselves up from being 17th and now up to 5th and quite comfortably in the playoffs. And, you know, you have to agree with him. We've been absolutely brilliant these past few weeks in particular. And we seem to be steamrollering opponents. Um, this um, performance at the weekend made me think directly back to when we started to beat Huddles, uh, Huddersfield and the likes of Reading in the business end of last season when we needed to come up with the big results we, we were doing it and I feel like a few years ago Fulham would never be able to we would never be this big game team I feel like if we had a, a result where we would be under pressure to, to win or secure some sort of good result then we wouldn't be able to do it but I feel like this team under Slav and in the form we're currently in is capable of doing almost anything to to within a certain degree I don't think we'll ever um, overcome the insurmountable task of getting anywhere near Wolves but I do believe that we could quite easily nab second especially if we get through these few weeks of um, very tough fixtures against as Jack says Derby, Wolves um, and then Bristol City this coming Tuesday we could be even in the automatics after them and after that it's a fairly manageable run-in and you know Slav has the experience of a, of a good run-in he's done it with Watford He's also done it last season with us. And there are clubs in that, up up in around the playoffs right now, that you would imagine could drop off. The likes of Bristol City after their exit from the um, the Cup, after they, beat, after they lost to Manchester City, have been on a particularly dreadful run. And speaking to a Bristol City fan at work today, he is of the opinion that they probably will drop even further because he feels like their squad isn't hasn't got enough depth. All of them look tired and they're absolutely, you know, crippled by injury at the moment. And there, I believe there are other teams in there that will also drop out. I still think that Cardiff may may tail off towards the end of the season should they get a few bigger injuries. Um, and I think there is still a chance for a couple more teams to have the wheels fall off slightly. Whereas I think that we're going in the other direction. See, I'm not sure I agree about Cardiff. I very much agreed with Sam, who was on Thursday's podcast, who just said Cardiff just seems to refuse to go away. They just don't seem to be going anywhere. And as much as I've thought all season that they will mm. they will drop off, I think they've got a bit of the Reddings about them. Uh, we sort of said that a little bit last year about Leeds as well, and then they did eventually drop mm. off. But like you say, Reading, Reading were there or thereabouts, and... Um, <laughs> Cardiff aren't playing a dissimilar style of football to Reading. The tri- just before you brought, come on to Bristol, I just wanted to point out, I, I just brought up um, Watford's promotion-winning season under, under Slavisa on, on Wikipedia. And so we've played 32 games now. Is it yeah. 32 we've played? 32. Yeah. Interesting to see that Watford's position at that point was sixth. Interesting. They'd been pretty much... It, to be fair, they'd been there or thereabouts the whole season. They'd mm. been there or thereabouts. They weren't ever below seventh apart from in the first couple of weeks so they were it's not exactly the same but just kind of in that hovering 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 then you can see between about games 35 to 46 or what's the last 11 games where they just turn the screw and then never leave the top three one of the things that Slavisa is really really good at is in my opinion is squad management and not figuring out how not to burn out players too quickly you see a lot of squads I think Bristol City, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the prime examples of how to burn out a very small squad quite easily. And they're paying for it now. And I think we paid for it slightly last season um, to slightly contradict my point. But I think this season we've rotated really well whilst keeping the quality in there, especially over this um, period just after Christmas and throughout January. We've looked really, really good um, regardless of who's in there. So there's clearly been... Um, tweaks to the system and the coaching remain the standard of the coaching remains as high 
as it was before. But I feel like everyone that's coming in can now slip into that system and they understand what's what's being asked of them. Whereas someone like Ojo coming in at the start of the season didn't really understand what was being asked of him. Um, I feel like Norwood felt the same. It was quite a complicated system and a, a quite a unique brand of football to play. And now the whole squad's on the same page. wavelength and page. Mm. Yeah, it's really showing. And Matty Target, you know, been so impressive how clear, like how quickly and how easily he's just slotted himself into that left back role and made it his own. All of these things are extremely valid, and it's it, it's one thing, obviously, being excited because we've just beaten a team who are in red hot form and probably the form team in the division aside from us. Uh, and we've just comfortably dismantled them, even if they were lacking one or two good players, in a, in a manner of performance that is up there with the most assured I've ever seen at the cottage, alongside Barnsley last year where we won 2-0. Um, and I think, it's you know, there's one thing not getting carried away. There's one thing being excited about the fact that Fulham are doing well, and that's I think that's particularly reasonable. When people are saying, you know, it's not let's not not get excited because this is, this is good and it, we should be happy about how we're playing. I think the trick is that... You know, we can all say we can all say yes, I'm excited. No, I'm not excited. You know, yes, I think we'll make him. You know, I can't. But where we are on at five p.m. on tenth of March, after we've played Preston and this run has come to an end, I think if we're up there, there are thereabouts in you know fifth or fourth or you know within four points of second, then yeah, let's get excited. But until that point, I think there's so much, so many different things that can happen. And so many different permutations of these results and how they change. And even if we, you know, went and lost to Bristol City, but at the same time Villa and Derby lost, it wouldn't be lost points or it wouldn't be dropped points. And it, it seems to be that kind of way where there's so many different things that can happen right now in the next three games that it doesn't make sense to get excited about the ones in front until we're getting to that kind of spot. Well, one thing that, you know, the real, the really, really impressive thing, and, and, and you guys have, have said it, if you compare it to Villa's performance on Saturday that Fulham were able to rotate in the sense that Font and Piazon dropped out who have been very impressive yeah. in, in over the past month so two of our better performance to better performers not obviously our best uh, and Villa had to their two their striker and their winger had to drop out and yet Fulham were able to play at a level where they could beat the form team and Villa couldn't yeah and that's about squad depth, rotation, and, and Slav's management, and he deserves credit where it's due. If you're going to slag him off when he does badly, then we give the credit him when it's due, and that's kind of how it all works. And he's doing, right now, Slavisa is doing all of the right things and deserves immense credit for that. Um, let's come on to Bristol City quickly, but we've got loads of questions, so yeah, uh, let's, not, let's not dwell on it too much. It's a match that has historically favoured the away side, but arguably the stakes have never been higher between these two. It's fifth. Place six. We're travelling to Ashton Gate, uh, but Bristol as- Ashton Gate more like <clears throat> what? Ashton Gate. Oh right. So I thought you said Sack him, Sammy. I thought you said <laughs> him out for lunch. I thought you said Ashton Gate. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Anyway, uh, Bristol have only won once in Boxing Day. Uh, before that, they'd only lost three times in the league. Is this the effect of a tough season on a small squad? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, there we are. That question's done. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want the next question? That's exactly what it is. Uh, the Robins are very capable of putting good performances. Um, yes. Bobby Reed and Famara Jeju have got, are a very potent attack and something we'll have to look out for on Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, okay. They're, they're, they're in Venice, they are actually very good. Players. Not to mention Aiden Flint. If you want the next question, I think. <laughs> I think Bobby Reed might actually end up playing in central midfield. Yeah, he which could well is, yeah. Um, Which is probably a good thing for us. Marlon Park Park is out. out. Yeah. And yeah. that's a good thing for us. Nathan because Baker is back. That's a bad thing for that us. That is. But Marlon Pack is obviously like the kind of engine room of that Bristol City midfield and losing him is a big, big 
kind of loss for them. There's talk of them playing Gary O'Neill there. Gary O'Neill's only just come back from injury. It was his first appearance for Bristol City reserves last week. He put in 60 minutes, I think, in a reserve game. I mean, obviously, that quite is... quite a serious injury as well. Yeah. Mm. That is He's obviously... He's bags of experience, but you imagine that against a midfield as mobile as ours... You, is that ex-Pompey? Yes, yeah, it is. Yeah, him, yeah. Oh, nearly signed for, West very West. nearly signed for Fulham once. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Um, who was the, who's the man for Bristol City taking the long throws? They Magn- scored f- Magnuson. Magnuson, yeah. Because they took they scored from two of those on Sunday against Leeds. So not something that we've dealt with too badly under this slab side. I know under previous managements we've uh, we've struggled big time against the odd the odd long throw, but certainly something to be wary of. What was quite impressive on Saturday, actually, not not to go dwell on it too much, was the fact that they did have uh, Robert Snodgrass, who's an expert free kick taker. And Villa had a couple of, you know, expert set piece winners, if you can call them that. And, yeah, you know, Terry John, John Terry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet we dealt with them very effectively. Snodgrass put a couple of really, really excellent free kicks in and Fulham dealt with that. So I don't I don't necessarily think that the long throws will trouble us, although you never know what, what might fall. The the game on when uh, yesterday, Leeds versus Bristol City, was such a Jekyll and Hyde performance from from Bristol. They were imperious the first mm. hour. And then all of a sudden, Leeds managed to get one goal and then they fell apart completely. And Just Leeds really could have won it. Could have won it. Could have won it. And, and should probably should have won it. Also, the song Leeds right were at the end. rubbish first half. They were really rubbish. Yeah. I, I mean, Bristol City made them look bad, but they were really poor. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Bristol just sort of collapsed in. And it goes back to that squad thing. You know, the second half, Bristol didn't look like they had any legs. And now they've got to play another game in four days later. It against... screams to me of inexperience, and a lot of their t- a lot a lot of their type side are younger and inexperienced. They've got a young. They? they have a young side who you know are, are, a lot of them are very good footballers, but a lot of them won't have been in this position before. And I, I was reading the the Bristol forums today because I'm sad and have no life. Um, but it, <laughs> and a lot of them are a lot of them were saying you know maybe it's for the best that we don't go up this year, so we can continue to bring this kind of young cohort through and get them into a, a position where they could go up to the Premier league and challenge because even if they got promoted they were saying they probably wouldn't have the capability one to like go and sign loads of players to, to make it happen but two like those young players who have done who've done really well aren't ready for that yet and then four would have to be going somewhere else to in terms to get that experience and that kind of thing so it's interesting and, and i think it's it's something that we need to watch out for but i think they're probably we, we should have the being of bristol city in the, their current vein of form I guess confidence will hopefully be low for Bristol as well because, all right, the Leeds blowing two goals as they did was pretty shocking, but the Sunderland performance, yeah. which, which uh, Mackham's fans called Bristanbul, which I still <laughs> love, um, was a spectacular collapse. A spec- oh, I mean, to lose from 3-0 up when they had plenty of chances to make it four. Oh, the fact that the Sunderland fans were saying to the players, you're not fit to wear the shirt and, and things like that is potentially the worst um, first half performance that anyone at Ashton Gate's ever seen from an opposition side to then drawing three all with, with a team that is on the verge of doing a double dip is potentially a confidence shatterer. We talk about Leeds having that last minute Kearney goal as their confidence shatterer last year. I mean, that could well be it there for Bristol. That could, that could be the end of their promotion push this year. You know, that blowing a 3-0 lead at home to a relegation structure is is the biggest blow you could ever imagine, I I, I guess. The thing is, is that's interesting, is that Bristol City are probably the best side that came to Craven Cottage this year. Mm. Oh, brilliant. Uh, oh, they were yeah. unbelievable when they played us. And also, 
I said the same last year when they came to they came in they, they absolutely us. annihilated us. In yeah, Tammy twice Abraham, in a week. Tam, no, in Venice, the first one was very exactly. close, but it was a Tammy Abraham masterclass. Yeah. The second one, and. You know, and this season again, they were just so so superior to us in every single sense of the word in that home game. They were better against us than Wolves were against us. Oh yeah, by miles, miles. Um, they were unbelievable. So I am a little bit wary because they obviously are a good footballing side, and Lee Johnson is a good manager. He just seems to lack a little bit of that second half of the season now. So remember, they collapsed last season as well. Absolutely yeah, collapsed through the floor. Well, they were in the playoffs uh, up until maybe November last yeah, year, October, they November. Went 13, they ended up in a, 13 straight without a win, didn't, didn't they? Didn't they end up in a relegation scrap? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of mad to think that that team that came and absolutely bossed Fulham from 90 minutes last year, and they're same again this year, can just go and then lose to Sunderland and, and have those kind of games. It's a bit mad, you, but you, I am wary that they do have really good players still. Yeah, you just get the impression with Johnson that as soon as you're in his trusted circle, then you're there and you don't. he doesn't particularly tend to use players that are outside of it. I think it's much like Ikanovic, except from our pool of players, is much bigger and it potentially has the, um, the edge over them in terms of overall quality, but... Johnson's, well, they, they, Johnson's a really good coach and they have some, as Jack says, they have some great players so it's not like it's going to be a walkover. In fact, family, I'm actually quite wary. His but family are Fulham fans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you, you just got to see and um, the fact that they tried to turn the tide to, in Bristol City's favour yesterday by bringing on Corley Woodrow. So... <laughs> Well, they're not going to have that option against us. No, they're not at all. Um, Let's get some some questions done, Jack, uh, because actually there's been uh, a remarkable amount of questions coming. We might have to uh, stagger them and answer a few of them on Thursday if they're not time-sensitive. Yeah, unless one of them is is what do you predict for the Bristol City game? Yeah, no, it, then it's not that, so that's good. Um, there's some really good questions. Um, just before Bit I easy start, question to answer. Just before I start, <laughs> I'd like to give a big shout out to Jonah Manning, who I spoke to at halftime for a fair amount of time. He was well nice and he loves the pod. So big, big up, Jonah. Jonah. Thank you for listening. This is from Josh. Josh says, do you think that Tim Ream is one of the most underrated centre-backs in the division? On the ball, he looks genuine premiership quality and defensively, I can't think of the last time he put a foot wrong. Um, I think Tim Ream is one of the most underrated defenders in the championship. Certainly agree because I don't think many people outside of the Fulham sphere or fan base, shall we call it, really understands the importance of Tim Ream to our overall style of play. Um, I think on the ball, um, you really are going to struggle to find centre-backs with the quality that he has, especially when he bring it, he's bringing it out into the midfield third. Um, I think a really good example of this would be when he basically sold half of the Burton team down the river uh, with a body faint before setting up um, a lovely midfield pass. Um, I'm not sh- quite sure that he would be Premier League quality, um, although if we get there next season, that will obviously will be uh, a good enough test for him. Um, I think he's had a, a wonderful relationship with Callas, and I think he really, they, them two really complement each other well. Um, so yes, in short, I do think Ream is one of the most underrated centre-backs in the division. I think um, he needs stepped up so much in his time at Fulham. I, I wouldn't put it past him stepping up again in a division above because he's defied so many critics already to get to the standard that he is now. Yeah. I mean, who would ever have thought two years ago that we'd be saying in a promotion push that Tim Ream's the first name on the team sheet? When, we, when we had the Fulhamish phone-in, the first I'd one... I'd quite like decided to defend yeah. him all of that yeah. evening. We, um, I remember I felt vindicated. Call, a phone call from... Yeah. I can't remember. I do apologise. He's a regular listener. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah, he still listens. Um, 
and it was about Tim. We had a conversation with him about it like six months later and we spoke about it. But it was, I remember that and it was vitriolic towards mm. Tim Ream in some respects. I uh, remember listening to it in the bath, <laughs> the, the <laughs> podcast, and I was ready. And I, was I just ready. don't want to know that you were doing your spare time ever. <laughs> and I was ready to I like... hairy that bath is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's it, is it a bath or a B-day? <laughs> <laughs> I you wish I never both. mentioned this. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, it was incredible the amount of, uh, well, but stick that Tim Ream was getting. I happened, and again, a bit like, why is, why is Jack on Bristol forums? Why was I reading the match reports after um, Derby Fulham last year when we lost 4-2? Yeah, he was and bad, Tim, Tim Ream was dropped for, that game, for the next game after Ipswich, as was Button, because he was absolutely diabolical that evening. Yeah, he made two massive yeah. mistakes. Yeah, and, and you know, twelve months on, I just—I mean, maybe he'll have another one more terrible performance. But that wasn't just like a one-off bad game for Tim Ream. That was a string of poor performances all in a row. And I think that's when the phoning came. Well, maybe it's just—you know—it it could be the sense that when when the team are playing really well, he really stands out and really blends into that system. And he's—he's he's kind of one of those players that he—you know—like I'm trying to think of another player, but. You know, some players who might fit well into like McCormack in the first couple of seasons, the team was kind of built around him and he flourished in it. And then there's been lots of arguments about whether he would fit into this system. We've come to the, you know, massive conclusion that no, he wouldn't fit into this system. And maybe Tim Ream does fit into fit into our system that we have right now. Yeah. And you know, Rimaldo is just basically one of the best footballers in the in in the in our team at the moment. I think you well, say country for a second. And if we go up to the Premier League and if we continue to play the system, I have the confidence that he would do well in the Premier League. Whether the whole team would do well, you know, that remains to be seen. This one's from John I. Star, or Jack Star, I think he's actually... John is a, Jack is a nickname of John originally, so I'm going to go with Jack Star. He says, Greetings from a fan overseas. I'm located in the heart of America in Kansas City, Missouri. How about this for a new nickname? Destroyed Aite. Guy gets bowled over on the pitch whenever he's healthy. few questions... Best dressed manager in the championship. <laughs> Is it Slavisa oh. Jokanovic? Steve Bruce? Definitely not, not it it's definitely not Steve Bruce. <laughs> Tony Pulis? Definitely not Tony Pulis. <laughs> if, if, if Exeter were in Nuno's the, always in um, training kits. Yeah, yeah, if, if, if Exeter were in it, it Paul Tisdale. Paul Tisdale. If um, Walter Zenger was still uh, Wolves manager, it would definitely be mm. him. He, he had some really nice suits quite often. Lee Ian, Johnst- Ho- Ian Holloway, pocket watch. Yeah. Uh, well, Lee, Johnston. Lee Johnston's quite, yeah, Lee Johnston's quite, quite a smart well man, yeah. But Slavis is definitely up there. Yes. I like a manager in a suit. Um, tell, him he, tell him he doesn't look smart. Yeah. I won't. It's a good one. <laughs> um, is Sessignon's next position as a striker? No. He could do in the future, but right now it benefits him because it, his the positions he takes up allows him to drift inside and outside and it allows him to get into positions where he can pick up the ball and, and you know tap it home inside the six yard box because he doesn't need to worry about anything else other than doing that and it gives him the freedom to express himself i feel like if you're in a striker especially if you're in a second striker position then you're quite restricted on what you can and can't do and there is a lot of defensive work i think if you look at uh, bournemouth they play a almost standard 4-4-2 and their second striker behind Callum Wilson has a lot of work to do they never stop running and they never really weigh in with goals you always think of a striker as scoring quite a lot of goals but a second striker often doesn't he's more of a creator if you look at someone like uh, Atletico Madrid as well um, if you look at um, whoever partners Costa uh, yesterday it was Gromero against Athletic Club Bilbao 
And uh, although he did get a goal, there was a lot of defensive work in there. And I think Sesson, it wouldn't suit Sessegnon. I think a winger suits him better. Mm. Jack? Yeah. I think he can probably play there. I think he's enough... Look, there's one of Sessegnon's best kind of assets is getting in behind the left back and where the role will be there, right back. Mm. And he, he sort of runs that channel. But, you know, you have strikers that just run channels. You know, Andy he Johnson. could follow Andy Johnson mm. role, couldn't he? Quite, quite admirably. And it has the ability, the finishing ability and the kind of natural guile to get in behind. And I, I can't see, I can't see him being a single striker on his own. You'd really, you'd think he'd be probably end up being bullied out of games unless you were playing on the last shoulder of the last man because he's quick. Mm. Um, I, I think it's very possible and it might be something to explore in future. You know, Gareth Bale started left back. He plays as a straight striker a lot these days. Um, uh, you know, in a, in a, just in a two up front with Ronaldo. So it's not impossible. I don't think it would be the right move for him right now. But if Fulham pushed up into like a 3-5-2 chasing a game, I wouldn't be averse to Sessegnon being the second striker in that system. I think for for me, it's um, it's very difficult for... Uh, a player like Sessegnon to play with his back to goal. I think that Sessegnon would, is is much better when he's facing goal, and that that gives him that opportunity to to roam in and out and go you know go as he pleases. Whereas if he was you know by himself, that he would find it very difficult to pick it up. Or or you know you very you very very rarely see with him with his back to goal unless he's tracking back trying to defend. Really, I think he works well though on the left. He could necessarily work on the right as well side of the front three though because it allows him to kind of go a little bit under the radar sometimes and whilst everyone's got mm. their eyes on Alexander Mitrovic and that's why I think he might be key to Sessegnon getting even more goals so whilst centre-backs are tasked with constantly watching out for Mitrovic Sess just kind of steals and squirms in from the left-hand side, finds that pocket of space and bang, there's a goal while they're all kind of watching Mitrovic. Obviously now, Sess has become so high profile that everyone's going to have their eyes on him. But Villa set out to stop him and Twanzebe did a brilliant job until... You he, know, still, he scored, yeah. No, yeah. No, it's like we said earlier. It's that, um, something that someone said to me on the weekend, I was standing with my friend Max, and he said, does Sess ever play on the right? He was like, because he doesn't have much of a right foot. But... You know, and he, he did have a couple of moments where he, the ball went out of play or when Cesc was trying to control his right foot. And he was saying, but, you know, from the right, he could be a devastating attacking weapon coming in. And I said that the way that Fulham played was about sort of getting in behind and cutting the ball back a lot of the time. And Cessna does that so well from the left. Without that kind of right foot, I wasn't sure that was the, the right option. But it's something to think about, you know, especially in like a Roy Hodgson kind of in, inverted wingers kind of style. It, it's something that Cessna could probably do. Maybe when he develops and he gets a bit more of a left peg on him to be able to hit goals from distance, no doubt he's probably got that in the locker further down the line. Well, I suppose his only a... goal from outside the box is probably right for his right foot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, well, I mean, that was right just... Extra... Left peg no, as in if he was on the right-hand side and maybe when he develops, he might develop a bit more of a long shot. He might be more devastating from the right, but right now I don't know. I mean, obviously, he probably can hit a long shot, but... He's not. Yeah, well, a, lot of, a lot of these players do develop over time. You, there's no telling, you know, it might have been last season that Sessegnon's best position was left back. This season it's left mid. Next season it could be striker, could be centre back. I don't know. But, you know, players players evolve over time. Stick him in goal. I, I'd be really disappointed if we played Ryan Sessegnon <laughs> as a centre back. I'm going to put that out there. It's not impossible with Slav, but I am going to put it out there. Stephen Sessegnon, interestingly, has been moved into centre back for the uh, 23s and has done a reasonably good job there. And they um, are playing next Tuesday against Chelsea at the cottage. That's actually my birthday. Oh, yeah. Mm. 
I'm afraid I'm not going to be there. At five past seven. So if you are around in West London oh. that evening, it's an early one as well. You're not going to be back too late. Like uh, the Tiger, isn't it? I'll be there. Yeah, mm. try and get get try and get down to that one because obviously it's going to be a real tough test for them against Chelsea, probably the best youth team in the country. Yeah. Well, again, thank you, Jack, from Kansas, for those questions. They were they were good ones. Um, this is from JT Gordon. and I think this is an important one to bring up because it hasn't been brought up yet. What's the pod stance on hashtag full force? Has well, what's, what's the outcome? I can start with you, Ben. Excellent. You're in. Ben's, in. Ben's a fan. What about you, Sam? I'm a begrudging fan. I, I'm, I'm warming to it, but I did not like it when I first saw it. When I saw it first off Slav, I was like, Slav's actually gone insane. Like He's just made that up on the spot. And just Who's come up with that? That's what I didn't, I didn't understand. Slav. The genius. Yeah, he's, so, now, he's now a member of the PR Serbian team. Serbian pet. So, he, so he's there. He's, oh, I've, I've, I've finished the tactics for Saturday, boys. I think we need a catchier hashtag than COYW, and he's come up with a full force. Yeah, oh, maybe he didn't like London's original. Yeah. Or yeah. hashtag fearless. Which has become a thing. Right. I'm not quite sure why, because it wasn't that like Leicester's one when they won the title. I really like Full Force. I really do. Okay, well, that's the... Um, I, I wasn't a fan. I hope I'm going gonna, gonna to stand off in. I probably will become a fan and I'll start using it loads. Well, but. hopefully next time that we sc- they score a goal, all the players will get and spell out Full Force with their bodies. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll have it in the, uh, in the Hammersmith then with placards when we get promoted. Each. Yeah, that's it. Well, look, we've got loads of questions here, but I think we can save some of these for the, for the Thursday episode, Sam, if we're, we're uh, running out of time. Uh, we've probably got time for another quick one. Okay, here's one. Clint McClendon says, if we go into the playoffs, who are our ideal and least ideal matchups? Uh, most ideal, I would say Cardiff. Least ideal, oh no, Derby. I was going to say Villa, but Derby, if we had to go second leg Pride Park, no, would not be up for that. Least ideal Villa... Most ideal Burton. <laughs> ben. I should don't I'm just gonna ignore that and just go to Ben Lance going moving on. Uh least ideal Derby. Most ideal I think we could do Villa over two legs. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would say maybe Villa. I think our star season, the least ideal, the one that I just don't want ever, ever, ever to even come near is I just don't want Brentford. Oh. I just. Do we need to worry about Brentford in the playoffs? They're five points off. They are. They are. They're closing in. They they're are. On, they're eighth. They're five points off. They're they're well ahead of Leeds. Mm. Uh, if we're still considering that Leeds Norwich are a well. force, then then we've got to consider that Brentford. That, especially Norwich. if we're saying that two. You know, Bristol City might drop out. If we were just talking about this kind of fall from grace. That means another team is going to get into the playoffs. What's Middlesbrough weird about, in terrible form? What's weird about Brentford? I was speaking to a number of their fans yesterday that they are not confident. This is like, even though this is their, you know, apart from the first season they did get into the playoffs, this is like the biggest chance they've got to get back into the playoffs. And they're all like, nah, it's not going to happen. We don't have V-Bear anymore. It's just not going to happen. And I'm like, but your guys are playing well. You're on a decent run of form and why not? How would you like Preston North End? I wouldn't be entirely opposed to it. Preston, I wouldn't mind Preston. The only the fortunate thing is if Fulham can continue their push, I'd like to think that if we are going to end up in the playoffs, it's in third or fourth. So we second get home lane second leg at home. If we had to go to Deepdale and get a result, I wouldn't be yeah. too enamoured. But if one of these teams comes to the cottage, especially now we've made the cottage a bit of a fortress this season, I'd like to think that third or fourth we could take anyone because that second leg at home will be crucial. It'd be like a European night. Exactly. <laughs> And how much did we love those? We loved European. Uh, let's have one more quick fire one. One last question. All righty. Okay, this is a random one. Out of nowhere, this came through. David Osborne. What do you think? What do you boys think of the current FFC badge? And would you change it? 
I mean, the only way that I would change it if it just goes back to one of the old ones. I'm I'm not too fussed either way. Sammy? Um, I don't particularly like the new one, no. I, I love the one that was on the 75 Cup final kit. And I know that our badge is kind of a modern version of that. And I think that's what they were trying to do. But... Yeah, I, I don't think our badge says anything about Fulham. I don't. I never particularly though liked the crest of Hammersmith and Fulham. Yeah, that one seems to get a lot of love more I, than I, I think it necessarily always does. Yeah, it's, it's just it's a bit nothing. Um, no, fair enough. Uh, ben, um, I do like it as it is now. I think it's actually quite smart. But then again, I do like the the badge from the the seventy five FA Cup final. I think that's that's fantastic. And I did like I do like the circular one from the eighties as well. Yeah, um, from '83. Nice. That's yeah, quite. Yeah. That's quite a nice badge. But I'm really, the badge doesn't particularly concern me personally. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't um, offend me. Yeah, it doesn't no, offend me in any way. Exactly. I actually, I actually, I think I it's quite fine. like it's it. Fine. It's fine. It's more okay. recognisable than than anything else. Yeah, I've got some breaking news, lad. This is genuinely breaking news. Sean Kavanagh has signed for Shamrock Rovers. Oh, oh, oh what? Oh, yeah, permanent. Looks like he, he snubbed Derry City to sign for Shamrock Rovers. Unbelievable. Oh, Derry City are going to be livid. They are, they're furious. There's actually genuinely a whole article in the Derry Journal about how angry the manager is. Kenny Shields is fuming. I've been trying to work on signing Sean since November. Fulham agreed they'd let him come to me, but he rang me up and told me he was joining Shamrock Rovers. I can't get a better left-back now who would be the best left-back in the League of Ireland. Oh, big calls. Well, wow. it's a desperately sad day for Jack. I'm devastated. Are you more or less devastated than Tunnicliffe? More. Jack's more. Irish as well, as you can tell by his really strong accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really hard to understand him at times. Jack yeah. can't even speak because he's that devastated. I am actually pretty devoted, yeah. We've got Cyrus Christie now, though, so I am a little bit like... There yeah, is a, a little decent, bit of a... Decent Irish right back. Yeah, so it's kind of... <laughs> that does, that does take, the, take a little bit of the pain off. All right, well, let's uh, end this week's podcast so Jack can go uh, sob in a corner. Yeah. Um, we need to name this week's podcast. Yep. If you've still got the strength of character in you, Jack, what yeah. are you going to name this no, week's No, I've already show? decided. It's actually a word that's come up three times during the course of this podcast. I'm just going to go with imperious. Oh, very oh. nice. Like the curse from Harry Potter. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like it. All, All right, right, well, right. Imperious is the name of this week's podcast. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, we will be back on Thursday. It's definitely me and Dom, potentially Jack, uh, if he's not... Uh, off to Bill Bauer and needs to run off to the airport uh, with a review of the Bristol City game and then that big game at the Cottage against Wolves we'll be doing all the previews to that and answering a load more of your questions that we didn't get round to today although we did actually in, in the end answer quite a few yeah there's loads more though we'll, we'll get loads of them come and see us if you see us at Bristol come and say hello yep uh, so if you're off to Bristol have a safe trip and we'll see you down there uh, and if you're watching around the world I hope you enjoy it wherever you are thank you as ever for listening uh, and to Ben Jarman thank you very much for being here thank you Sammy nice to be back on Matt Farrell thank you very much for being here thank you Sean Sammy and Jack we'll see you very soon bye I miss you Sean <laughs> toodles take care bye Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. 
Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa here. And Julio Ricardo Varela. We are the co-hosts of the Roundtable podcast, In the Thick, where we talk about politics, race, and culture from a people of color perspective. That's right. Every Tuesday and Friday, we bring you the latest political news, covering the stories and issues that matter to communities of color with amazing POC journalists, activists, and academics from all over the country. So you're not going to want to miss our coverage because we have a lot of fun. We do. Which means that on election night, November 3rd, we are going to be hosting a live virtual show to give you the much needed POC perspective on this crucial night in our country. Follow us on social media at In The Thick Show to make sure you don't miss the updates and this live analysis. Subscribe to In The Thick wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.